Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. A couple of depressing weeks in uh, in this guy's life over here. The engineer, the call screen, whatever you. I don't even care what you call me at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, things are looking on the the uptick for you, my friend. And of course, I'm speaking to the host and referring to our football lives that we lead during this. 16 weeks um i don't know I, I don't have much to say i don't even feel like dropping the sound bite so i was going to convenient How about get that one. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> uh but i guess uh yeah i guess we can get right into it Not much to, to so, say uh, here. Uh, uh, so the question on everybody's mind is, you like Dak? <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. In fact, um, I was at a birthday party this weekend of someone you've called out on the show a couple of times. I think we've coined the nickname the Hillsboro Hobo. Yes, we're still it, waiting for him. It was his birthday uh, party at his home this past weekend, a barbecue with friends and family. And there were some 49er fans among us who were uh, talking in envy of Mr. Dak and saying, boy, how sweet it would have been if we could have swooped that man up in the draft instead of drafting someone with a blown-out hamstring who probably didn't even make the team. So let me put that in perspective it doesn't mean that he would be doing what he's doing now. No, yeah, no. Different team, different scheme, different... Different players. Everything, yeah. Different, everything. Different everything players. is different. Okay. So um, he has the benefit of coming in with an offensive line, a bell cow running back, and top-tier skill position players on the offensive side. I mean, best-case scenario. And then a scheme 
that mm-hmm. works to his you know to right. his advantage two tight end scheme. Yeah. So um, now you take that same guy and you drop him into the Jaguars or you drop drop him into the Forty yeah. ers where they're Anthony Davis just retired again. What I'm. Do you think do you think it's concussion related that he like started having more symptoms? Uh I think he's a bit of a loose screw to be honest. I don't think it's in, it may have something to do with concussions. I don't believe it's entirely concussion related. I, I just want to say for our listening audience <laughs> that he has used a slur against our mental health community by calling him a loose screw. <laughs> yeah, um and I don't know. I I I don't think that it can be that it's understated this relationship between him and the front office of the 49ers. I think that's what it is. I think that has a ton to do with it. Uh, it didn't and, really matter because of what the, if, what about his, what do you think potato chip Kelly had anything to do with it? No. Okay. No, I doubt that. Um, if anything, potato chip Kelly might've been the reason he decided, Hey, maybe I'll come out of retirement okay. for another go. But, um, didn't matter. He wasn't going to start anyway. This young guy that we have, Trent Brown, kind of came out of nowhere. And he's already, I mean, the NFL, you know, they rank position units week by week. The pro football focus. Yeah. And he ranks out as one of the top right tackles in the league right now. And in fact, the offensive line ranks top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, you know, it's good to have depth, mm-hmm. but he wasn't going to start anyway. So I don't okay. think he'll be. He'll be missed. That probably bothered him. So back to Dak. So you drop him into San Francisco, which, you know, in, Great. in terms of skill positions, they're kind of struggling. I, I, would, I didn't know Carlos Hyde was from Ohio State. Ohio State, yeah. See, I would argue that. So he, he was the predecessor to Frank Gore. Well, I mean, so to, no, you're talking about Ohio Elliott. State. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. If, if I was thinking 49ers, yeah. he was going to be the next in line to Frank Gore. Yeah. Um, I would say offensive line-wise, I mean, at least this year and how they've been playing, they're ranked top five. Blaine Gabbert's not getting touched as far as sacks are concerned. So Dak would have had a good offensive line. Carlos Hyde, one could argue, is more proven than Ezekiel Elliott, but Ezekiel Elliott obviously has all the potential in the world, so that's a wash to me. How tall tall was Frank Gore? How tall was Frank Gore? Ooh, 5'10", tops. Okay, all right. Um... It's the receivers, obviously. Dez is world class. Mm-hmm. Torrey Smith is a good receiver, but he's like a good number two. Yeah. Um, they don't really have a number one, obviously. Um, their tight ends aren't bad, but they're not great. They're not Jason Witten level. Mm-hmm. So in the in the receiving core, Dallas obviously has a huge edge for Dak in that regard. But then again, I say that, and it's so, in my opinion, very hard to judge how good a receiving core is if you don't have a quarterback that can get them the ball. Yeah. Cause we don't know if they're getting open on routes or not. Cause you don't have a quarterback to get it there. Yeah. I look at Michael Crabtree is a perfect example. I mean, he showed glimpses with the Niners, very inconsistent, but you look at the quarterback play, he goes over to Oakland where this kid, Derek Carr looks like the real deal and he's blowing up every single game. So Crabtree, uh, crab apple tree, Crabtree and Evelyn had, a. Uh, Seem to have had a good rapport with uh, Pumpernickel before he went south. So-so, yeah. Before he went south, I yeah. guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, well, anyway, with Blaine Gabbert, it, it's a lost cause. But, yeah, Dak might have been nice. You know, Blaine Gabbert, it, it's always hard to tell with these these college kids who come into the NFL I- and do get dropped into a terrible situation 
that you play in a situation like that for three years or so, how big does the psychological component weigh on yeah, somebody? All of a sudden, in the, you become a, they start labeling, labeling you a bust. So while we're talking about that, why don't we just briefly, before we move on, how do you think Cleveland and, and the Rams are feeling now that they didn't take Wentz instead of uh Oh, golf? man. I'll tell you that they're not – well – Golf hasn't played yet, so yeah, right. Favorite. The Rams, we have yet to see. Obviously, when golf plays, we'll see what he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as immediate impact is concerned, obviously Carson Wentz, Trevor Simeon. Although Trevor Simeon, kind of like the situation with Dak in Dallas, but reversed. Um, he has an amazing defense, so the offense can be super conservative, mm-hmm. which a lot of quarterbacks can perform in. But Wentz is slinging the rock all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Time will tell on golf, but we'll see. But I know Cleveland, that organization, man, I don't know. Who did they pick? <laughs> I don't remember. It wasn't a quarterback, I don't think. Uh, they picked uh, – I forget, man. It must have been like a, an offensive – like a tackle. I or think a, yeah, it was an offensive lineman. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so we, we're uh, meeting up this Sunday. We, damn, my wife was, uh, my wife was telling me at home, he's, he's not going to forget about that come showtime. You're going to, you're going to have to hear about it. So yes, we are. And it is these type of games that worry me because there are certain teams and schemes that just, just bad matchups, bad matchups. And the 49er defense has always been a bad matchup the way it's been schemed. Now, I don't know if it's being schemed the same way under uh, the Jets cast off, whatever the hell his name is again, the guy, Mm -hmm. what's his name? Your defensive coordinator, coordinator, Jim O'Neill. Oh, what happened to the guy from, from, Oh, from New York. No, no, he was canned with, with the man you put out an APB on. Oh, and, oh Jim Tom Zula. Yeah, no, okay, he's can. Right. Jim O'Neill came. Actually, he was Cleveland's defensive coordinator. Um, but they, everyone in Cleveland thought he should have been made the head coach because he showed glimpses on the yeah. defensive side. He's from the um, Parcells coaching tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they hired Hugh Jackson and um, Chip and Jim O'Neill go back. Okay. Whatever. All right. So anyway, yeah, no, the the matchups are are all the key. It's like uh, one thing that Kobe Bryant used to say, and we'll reference a little basketball here. The Warriors, the way they used to play under Don Nelson, 130 to 140. Those are going to be the games. Mm-hmm. There were just certain teams that they could beat with that kind of matchup, with that style of play. The Lakers happen to be one of them. But Kobe would always say in the interviews after the game, I don't really care because we're not going to see a team like this in the playoffs. Teams mm-hmm. don't play like this in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um Similar kind of deal. But anyway, Chum Chum's on the line. And uh, although I fear that we will be the heavy underdog, I can taste that Applebee's lunch now. Okay? Hmm. Nice. Uh, anything happen? When, when are we starting up NBA? When is training camp open? Training camp has opened. Okay. Media day was two days ago, I want to say, or yesterday. Okay. We have our first preseason game this weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. Golden State, Toronto. All right. So what I'm hoping for is uh, either Steph. um, (laughs) Or Durant. Durant. Or what's the other guy's name? Clay. Clay. Draymond. One of the the three to tear uh, Achilles or something. I figured as much. And uh, that'll, that'll serve them right. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's big. Any uh, thoughts on your Knicks before we move on to the next segment? Absolutely none. Thank you for asking. No, really not a fan of the Derrick Rose comeback or the Joakim Noah pickup? Or... Uh, I am a ride-or-die New York Knicks fan. Yes. However, I do not talk about them until they have done something. Oh, okay. And for the last 55 years, they have done nothing. <laughs> it's been a long moment of silence for yeah, you. Yeah, there you go. All right, great. We uh, we will move on because we got a little update here. I'm going to put out a brief disclaimer on this one uh, or preface this by saying this is secondhand information, although the information is coming from a credible source. But a little update on our friend uh, Jean Carlo, is that what Juan, we're calling him? Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos. A uh, little update on Juan Carlos. And it's not good. Nope. Uh, it's not good. I think the last time we checked in, um, it looked like Juan Carlos had been turning a corner. He had... Um, it, it was a little slip. A little slip when he uh, went to... A recovery from, yeah. from the slip. Right. Maybe a slight, slight MCL tear. Right. We thought he was going to recover from that. But the word on the street is that uh, he's what fell down the manhole cover. The, the, the word on the street is it's a actually a further MRI revealed that it is a full complete tear, tear. complete tear of the MCL, ACL, PCL. I mean that knee. And the meniscus. That knee is just blown up like okay. Teddy Bridgewater's. Okay. And uh, sounds like it may have been a tear all along, and. Uh, you know, we were just able to mask the limp, so right. to speak. So, of course, we're using um, code speak and analogies, but in all seriousness... Sounds like he might have been getting high for a while. Yeah, it's never... It's ne- it, When someone relapses, of course, it's not a joking matter. Um, we, we did, a, we did a, a show some time ago chronicling the relapse uh, of a person... And, and how that process actually goes in, in real time, uh, live. And so we've been giving updates periodically to Juan Carlos. Uh, that's not his real name, obviously. Uh, and so right now, it's a, you know, it, I think it's official. He's in a state of relapse. Mm-hmm. And our hope is that the relapse can be arrested, no pun intended, even if actual arrest is what happens to arrest the relapse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's what needs to happen, you know, yeah. um, to save to save someone's life. So we can only hope, we can only pray, and we can. Uh, that's all we can do. That's right. So, and some of our a couple of our X Files questions kind of speaks to the difficulty of recovery. So when we get there, we'll we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. All right, let's hit our topic. Let's do it. Our topic for uh, this week is uh, projection. Is it your issue or mine's? <laughs> yeah. Now, back in the day, um, it, it's, it's interesting because the, the word projection, and we're going to actually define it and then talk about some scenarios that that how it manifests itself, mm-hmm. but you know, in 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 the treatment community, in the treatment environment, 
it, it almost became a weapon. Yeah. You know, so if you were being confronted or, or, or uh, being visited at dinner or lunch uh, by your peers. Yeah. And uh, you could try and get out of it by saying, oh, that's just you're just projecting your stuff. Mm-hmm. Onto me as a means of you know uh, pushing them off you or avoiding the confrontation, yeah, or care confrontation I like to say. Um, so projection in the OCG dictionary is a form of defense in which unwanted feelings are displaced onto another person. Okay where they then appear as a threat from the external world. And a common form of projection occurs when an individual threatened by their own feelings accuses another of harboring those same hostile thoughts and feelings okay. uh, themselves. So what happens when you have a whole bunch of uncomfortable, embarrassing, and annoying emotions that you don't want to unconsciously deal with these emotions are then projected onto other people and then other people then become the carriers, Mm -hmm. so to speak of your own perceived flaws. If they're not careful, Mm -hmm. if they're not aware that that's what's happening, that they've just been projected on. Fortunately or unfortunately, uh, this form of emotional displacement makes it much easier you know, for us to cope. You know, it's almost like a coping mechanism at a certain point. Mm-hmm. In essence, you're basically saying um, everyone else is responsible for my misery. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So <clears throat> let's go through. I got about num- number six is a doozy. Uh, six scenarios. Okay. So, number one, he or she hates me. So, you know, whether you're at home, work, or in any other situation, we've all believed that there are people in our lives, whether they're whether they be your boss, coworker, your mother-in-law, <laughs> extended family members, and other people we come into contact with hate or dislike us for no reason. Mm -hmm. And while we're convinced that that's the case, most of us fail to believe or realize that believing someone hates us is often the result of projection. If we have a strong dislike for someone in the first place, it's common for us to protect ourselves against this feeling by just, you know, saying, I don't like you. Right before right. before they even had a yeah, chance. Yeah, before they have a chance to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't like you either. What do you mean either? I never said anything. Right. Another example. Uh, speaking negatively about someone's physical appearance. Okay. So, this is more prevalent among females than it is against males. With males. Yeah. So how often do you hear another woman talking about another woman, you know, the dress she's wearing, how her hair is and, you know, all kinds <laughs> yeah, of stuff, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, so 
their what you know anything about their physical appearance that may be in some way displeasing to you and you may have felt or you might feel an immense sense of distaste or dislike for this person when in fact this may be just a protection mechanism that's veiling your own your own body image issues mhm your own insecurities thus you are subconsciously projecting this here's this word loathing <laughs> onto other people so that's the attacking someone's personal appearance another example of projection is when we say other people make me uncomfortable. So often the anxiety and the tension that you may feel around others is a reflection of the way we perceive ourselves. Yeah. If we are insecure, if we have low self-esteem, it's common to perceive the problem as being with other people rather than with myself. Yeah. This is probably the most classic form of projection and it's probably the most common that with people who suffer from anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Which some of the quote unquote experts say might be six tenths of the population. Holy smokes, really? No, I'm just making that up. I'm okay. It's a lot though, yeah. yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised. I actually wouldn't be surprised if that were an underestimate. Yeah. Okay. Number four, if I can do it, other people can do it as well. So this is perhaps one of the most nauseating types of projections others make, which while flattering and motivating in some ways, is completely unrealistic in others. Hmm. For example, while watching TV, how, how often have you heard like, uh, a commercial or an advertisement with, uh, you know, happy people proclaiming, I've lost 30 pounds in three weeks and you can too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I earned $2,500 overnight. You can too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All so the time. this is another common example of projection that, of course, you know, it's not someone that's like sitting right next to you doing it, but... It's an example of projection that fails to take into account the fact that everyone has a different level of capability. Not everyone's going to be able to do that. It's also common for people to personally to commit to this kind of what they call psychological projection as well. For those parents out there, for example, with your children, you might think, well, you know, I was a good ball player, you know. He should be too. Right? <laughs> or uh, with your coworkers. You know, if I can do that project, so should so and so be able to do that project. So, this is a, also a form of projection. I can half relate to this one in terms of having children, you know, but, you know, I had girls. 
So I didn't have a I didn't have a male child to project onto, but I had the females to project onto. Yeah. Athletically. And so going off on a tangent for a second, being aware of this and not wanting to put any undue pressure on them when they were involving themselves in sports as they were growing mm. up. Okay. Self-awareness is big, right. and that's a theme throughout this right. topic. So they played softball, they played basketball. When they were playing softball, I would set up my picnic chair way out in the furthest reaches of center field mm-hmm. where they could not hear me screaming and yelling. <laughs> Okay, smart, yeah. Swing the damn bat. Get the bat off your shoulders. What are you waiting for? Why are you still on second base? So they couldn't hear any of that. Good. Okay. And then in the gym, and while they were playing basketball, I would sit at the very top of the bleachers, all the way at the very end, the last possible seat that you can fit on before you fall off on the bleacher. And I would not say a word. Okay. And as a person who back in my day excelled in basketball you can imagine how difficult that was that yes yes i can and baseball that's why i took those steps because i did not want them to say now at their early 20s age man you were you know yeah crazy yeah you you were something else in fact i resent you for it yeah so they they actually never heard me. Oh, good. You were you were in that case self aware. Oh, self aware. Yeah. Had to be. Yeah. Um. Another example of projection. People might say something like, "There is comment. You know, that's that's gross. That's bad. Get it away from me." So when we react the most strongly. Or what we react the most strongly to says the most about what we place the most importance in. For instance, if we can't stand watching, you know, sexual acts on TV, mm-hmm. soft porn now, right? Especially if you have Cinemax. Uh, I don't have those channels, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, to the audience, of any comments that the host makes, he makes by himself, and I'm not interested in any channels. way, shape, or form. I don't have those channels. I just watch sports and documentaries. It's true, hey, I am. Um, and, and planes taking off and landing on YouTube. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so if you can't stand watching certain things on TV, this could be very well be a reflection of a hidden, and we use like watching sex, right? Hidden sexual shame or insecurity. That you may have in yourself. Sure. Um, homophobia, as well, is often a type of projection, especially amongst religious people, for instance, um, etc. Mm-hmm. Although, and this is my own comments, okay, I always think oftentimes the term homophobia is misapplied because phobia implies a fear. Fear, right. And oftentimes, it's not really bad. People are afraid. It's hate-driven it's, most of the time. It's either ignorance, mm-hmm. or dislike, right. hate, things of that nature. Not necessarily that they are afraid. fearful of yeah. it. Although there are some on the other side who could tie those things Into... and say rooted, that they are all rooted in some sort of fear. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that 
cor- that connection made before too is that all those things are driven by fear because it could be the fear of the unknown or fear of the how it makes you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be like you said that those are all derived from some sort of fear yeah um okay here's number 6 hit us with it he or she is having an affair Mm. The fear, F-E-A-R, that your partner is having an affair or is being untrustworthy is often a reflection of the way you feel about yourself. Yeah. So all normal, my hands are in quotes, people functioning in relationships, intra I-N-T-R-A, intrapersonal relationships, for example, may feel attracted to other people at one point or another. It is human nature. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be the animal in you. Right. Think about about what you're biologically here on Earth to do. Right. And sometimes this self-discovery... I'm laughing because if you're married, they, the, they don't, the word is not used. They don't say it as self-discovery. Or if you're in a, you know, it, uh, yeah, serious relationship. Yeah, a monogamous yeah, relationship. It, it, it's not called self-discovery. But um, this self-discovery is met with fear and shame, which is then often projected onto the other partner. Mm-hmm. And this is just a brief side note, and I'll keep it very brief, mm-hmm. but... To touch oh, on long, I've I finished my six. To touch we'll on to touch on the whole biological component, kind of in that last point six that you were talking about, um, and I think maybe we've mentioned it on this show before. If we haven't, I've had this conversation with several other friends of mine who mm-hmm. are married. Um, that's kind of a part of what makes marriage special mm-hmm. and so beautiful, and that it is. Um, work you do have to work to make it work and it is a commitment and it is, it does take dedication um because you got to be committed to the work yeah, yeah. It, because at the very root of it it is unnatural it's very unnatural you see i don't know if it's ducks uh, th- there are a couple other animals within the animal kingdom where you see a partnership formed and then that partnership is it for life that's not the way any living biological organism functions. Mm-hmm. Um, we as human beings do that, um, which is why you hear about people being married for 40 years, 50 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be, and that that is something to be celebrated. And that is amazing because it is a sign or a testament to the dedication and the work that went into making that work because that other person is worth it to do that work for because on a very natural or kind of animal level, that doesn't make sense. It it doesn't make sense to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, just kind of like a sidebar on point number six, how you brought up that kind of projection that can happen. Well, like you said, and and it's important to acknowledge that it's natural Mm -hmm. um, because you're not going to be made to feel guilty for something that is normal. Mm -hmm. Um, That wouldn't be right. And you don't need to beat yourself up over that anyway. Um, but that you need to be aware of that 
and control that. And there's where the trust component comes in and well, everything I think else. What they're pointing to in number six is the when they're for, how, for whatever reason it's manifesting itself, and the couple involved would have to dig deeper to get to the root of that. But if there is a lack of if something has triggered a, a, a trust emerge crisis, mm-hmm. okay, um, or insecurity has uh, weaved its way in to uh, someone's mindset and, and, and thoughts and feelings, etc., mm-hmm. then the they can then project that insecurity and that lack of trust onto the other party. Yeah, through an accusation of are you talking to someone else? Are you doing this? Or are you doing that without first, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing and why? Right. You know, the right. key thing is, and, and why am I experiencing right. and feeling that? And it could be historical. It could be present or it could be anticipatory. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but it requires uh, honest dialogue. So relationships, my goodness. Um, so let's bring it back into the uh, treatment context, projection. What we try and do is clients to be aware of if they are conversing with someone, and I know that's not a word, um, and or care front, care fronting someone, and the person, the 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 other party says, "Oh, that's just projection." Mm-hmm. Okay. Before the the conversation is just disbanded, yeah, it's my responsibility to do a very quick, immediate assessment. Right. Right. Is am I projecting something onto this other person that's the source of my care frontation or the what have you and if it is it's okay to actually not only acknowledge you know what you're actually right i I am projecting it does not however automatically just by virtue that it is projection discount your confrontation that's right or whatever issue you might be bringing to their attention you know i'm oh boy the best the the, we're on the best awareness that you bring to someone else oftentimes comes out of your own projection. This is what I was going to say. And when I was reading the topic, uh, when you let me know last night that you had posted it and I had a brief moment to think about it while I wasn't stressed out about the exam that I had coming <laughs> looming today, just blow it off. <laughs> right. Um, and then it reminded me when I came into the studio and started to set up, I said, I'm, I hope he touches on it. Cause if not, I'll just bring it up. Mm-hmm. But the direct tie-in to projection and a particular line in our philosophy Mm -hmm. that we have run down to the listeners before, and it involves the analogy of a mirror. Mm -hmm. And where else but in our common ground can we find such a mirror? And just as you pointed out, sometimes that is where the best group dynamic takes place or the best carefrontation takes place mm-hmm. even in encounter group you see it a lot mm-hmm. where wow 
this person has dropped slips on three people that are exactly like him Mm -hmm. or her. And as the focus is being given, you could quite literally hold a mirror up and you are pointing out everything and everyone else that you dislike that you have a problem with yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the beauty or the magic of the TC at the same time too, Mm -hmm. because if you can be open to that, you, everyone who has that issue that they can see it in someone else is the best person to analyze Mm -hmm. that somebody else has this issue because you can pick up on it instantly. Mm -hmm. And then if you can be open to the idea that, wow, I do recognize that so readily in people because I struggle with that myself this is where the magic of the TC happens. You learn about yourself. You're bringing it up to other people because you have the power to perceive that in others because you've done it for yourself. And so the tie into the philosophy is just perfect with that right there, that line particularly. To steal from one of our more more recent show topic titles, the struggle is real. Mm -hmm. So what makes it come full circle and be very – um useful is when the so you use the account encounter group as an example. I think it's a perfect example because if I'm giving you focus in encounter group, encountering you and telling you about yourself and the things that you've been doing and what I feel about those things, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're done with our encounter. 15 minutes later, I can be on the receiving end of the same encounter from another person, pointing <laughs> out the same things in me. Or sometimes within the response to that encounter. Or sometimes. You hypocrite. The, that's a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we usually cover the, the hypocrisy right off the bat. Look, we're, everyone's a hypocrite. So, yeah, right, right, um, right. But. The one thing that we, we, we want to avoid happening, which happens a lot in the treatment environment, is the projection word starts getting used as a sword, meaning as a defense sword. Yep. That's just projection. You know, um, you're just projecting your stuff onto me. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we don't get you don't get to experience the full circle of what you can experience if you take a moment's time out to first determine whether or not am I actually during the course of my conversation, my confrontation, my encounter, what have you, am I actually just projecting things about myself onto this person? Right. And if you can do that, and that does take some time, some growth, some maturity, Emotional maturity to do to to get there, but you know to be to be aware is to be alive. So we say, let's first become aware of it, okay? And then when you become aware of it, then you can start the process of then practicing, slowing yourself down and determining whether or not, okay, am I projecting something about myself into this conversation or onto that person? And if the answer, the honest answer is yes, I can acknowledge that. How can I acknowledge that? You can say, and by the way, I'm just letting you know, this is, um, this is a projection, but, I'm, but I see that in you also. Mm-hmm. Now, the person on the receiving end of that, how they respond also shapes the totality of the experience. Mm-hmm. Because if they say, oh, well, if it's your damn projection, 
the hell are you confronting me for? Right. Then the experience gets blown up. Right. It gets, you know, a grenade just got thrown into the experience. If they're able to say, well, you know, I appreciate that, you're acknowledging that, and then then speaking to whether or not honestly that they have some, you know, some role in whatever it is was being pointed out to them, that's when you get the totality of the experience. Two people simultaneously are able to help themselves because they both recognize in each other something that they both need to work on. Rather than throwing using it as grenades towards each other. Now the grenades are okay in the encounter group. We allow the grenades. Yeah, they got to come okay. out somewhere. Right. You, we, you don't we, want them to come out in grenade. a non-controlled environment. Right. We know the grenades got to come out. We we hope, and and it doesn't always happen. And it's not a requirement that it happens that during the process of the encounter that after grenades, you know, there's there's you know. What's what's less than a grenade? Oh, less than a ground up uh, handguns, a, a BB gun, <laughs> a BB <yeah>. gun, <laughs> a pellet gun. Um, but certainly not, you know, outside of that group environment, you know, where you can't uh, throw grenades, right? In theory, right? We we don't advocate that. Um, we're working on our impulse control and 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 what have you. There's a time, there's a place. We're working on all that stuff. So. You have to be able to be in touch with your feeling, being you know, being aware of what's going on with you at any moment in time, um, because usually the way most treatment environments are set up is to create a lot of this conflict to come to the surface, mm-hmm. is to allow for a lot of this projection to take place, and that's what actually brings out these quote unquote, my hands are in quotes, these flaws that we haven't that we have so that they can be addressed. I used to always say in treatment, the best pair initially, not long term, it just initially, the best pair is the one who doesn't give a rat's behind about you. For whatever reason they don't like you. They don't get along with you or your, your personalities just don't <laughs> vibe together. So they have no problem just, you know, just being raw and telling you yeah, about yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is the best person for you because they don't care about your feelings. So they're right. just going to be. They're not going to sugarcoat the message no, in concern of how you might react. They are going yeah. to call it they're not looking exactly to be as your, they see it. They're not looking to be your friend and, 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 and whatnot. So those are the best people for you. In the first trimester. Agreed. As I've talked many times on the show, you know, my pair ended up being my best man at my wedding. Yeah. Okay. He and I did not get along for the first couple of months. And this is maybe for another show, but there are some great stories. Yes. There are some great stories about that. Yes. We did not get along for the first couple of months and ended up being, you know, best friends in treatment and still friends to this day, even though we're on the opposite sides of the country. That's right. So, but because at the, those initial stages, uh, we didn't care about, you know, care about my feelings. I didn't care about his. And we, you know, we, we, we just had a different rub towards each other. We didn't, like you said, there was no sugarcoating. 
Right. We weren't trying to be each other's friends, you know, or anything like that. And of course, the interesting thing is, is, <clears throat> and this is the way it should work, and this is how true friendship is, is that when we eventually became friends, the same rules applied. Mm-hmm. Okay. We did not sugarcoat. We were honest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You tell the truth. Because why, why do you do that? Because you have security in the relationship that it can withstand the truth. Yeah. And that I'm not saying it's a purposely trying to make you feel bad, look bad, or, or what have you. I'm saying it because I care right. about you. So I asked the question in the title, Projection. Is it your issue or is it mine's? Is it your issue or is it mine's? And I think what we've come up with is that it is your issue and sometimes it might and be mine's. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The yeah. question, is, the second question, we don't get a lot of space to write a long title, by the way, so I got to always shrink it down. But the follow-up question to that is since we determined that it is your issue and there is a strong likelihood that it may also be my issue is then how do I then move forward with that so that we both can benefit so it doesn't I don't push you away via my projection right and if my covers get pulled that it is a projection that you don't then step away after that has come to the, if that comes to the fore, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How do we stay in the conversation once those things become known? Yeah. And usually, you know, until there's growth, till there's emotional maturity, if, 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 if it's found out that it's a projection that usually kind of like we said, throws a grenade into the, to the, into the conversation. Yeah. And we go our separate ways. And that's not what we want. I agree. But it does take growth. It does take emotional maturity because if, if you find out that I'm projecting on you and I've been cop. Okay. I, just, I, I take a minute to analyze and I say, well, you know what? I, I own that. I am projecting on you. Okay. It takes a little bit of growth and maturity to st- for the other person to then stay in the conversation and not think that I was trying to, you know, laser tag you. Right, right. When in fact what you did was help me become more self-aware mm-hmm. by trying to defend, <laughs> defend, yeah, yeah. defend the carefrontation. That's right. It's interesting how it all works. Almost in a circle. It is. I've explained to the family over the years that it actually is a circle because if, if you think of the game, you know the game Musical Chairs? Yep. Okay, so we always identify one chair that gets you know, kind of moved out. So you're mm-hmm. always shrinking the number of chairs, right? As you, people get thrown out, right? right? And so if you have the family, everyone sitting in a circle, and you, you alluded to this earlier, no matter what the, the feeling 
that you might be, if we're discussing feelings, no matter what the feeling might be, or even no matter what the circumstance or incident or experience might be, you can start with one person and then go to the next person and they can somehow relate. And you can just go around the room in a circle and each person can somehow relate in one way, shape, or form to whatever the issue, circumstance, or experience was in their own way. And so that's like why I always try and take the hypocrisy out of the equation right off the bat and just let's all just say, admit at one time, we're all hypocrites yeah. as we sit together in this group, in a circle. This way... I can freely say, hey, you know what? When you do that, wrong. And the person sitting next to me can, sign, can then, after I just finished talking and pointing out something in you, can then say to me, well, you know, you did the same thing the other day, and it's wrong when you do it. Right. Okay? And then I have to be able to... to has to be able to go I, back I, and forth right. and open like that. Right. That's how the TC works. Mm-hmm. Now, before we wrap up, we've got about 10 minutes left for the top of the hour. We spent a little bit of time talking about number six, interpersonal relationships and how projection can sometimes uh, throw a wrench. Yeah, a big wrench. A pipe wrench. <laughs> yeah. 10-inch street pipe wrenches yeah. into it. And, and we talked about marriage, but it makes no difference whether you're married or just in a serious relationship. Um, I don't think there is any more uh, another type of uh, relationship that can, uh, you know, experience that can pull up what we would call um, I'm going to use the term root emotions, but there's another word I'm looking for. Um, the type of emo, uh, you know, only, only your your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, um, your your sister, your brother, your mother, your father can bring these emotions out of you. Yeah. Okay. They're 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 deep and they're raw. Yeah. Okay. And and why it why these people are the only ones that can do it because these are the only ones that get that close to you. True. Where they begin to learn. You know, you're, you know, they know, you know, especially if it's family, they know everything there is to know about you, who you are your whole life, right? Your, your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, et cetera, um, through the process of the relationship will come to learn if it's, you know, a true relationship and you're truly sharing and being honest, right. come to, uh, you know, and they earn that, 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 that privilege. They come to learn those things about you. And of course there's no, uh, what they, what's that saying? There's no uh, in love and war. There's no what? What's that? How do you say? Oh, you have an, yeah. you have an what, argument. What is yeah. that? Yeah, all's all fair, fair in love and war. war That's right. Like so, that. Yeah. So they, you know, you can use a person's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, their what you might perceive to be their weaknesses or what have you against them in, in, in an argument. But only people who are close to you will know that that might be a sore spot with you or an emotional. Uh, weakness with you and trying to use it against you. Mm -hmm. So 
in the relationship aspect, the that's probably the hardest time because of the emotion involved to be able to take a step back. Yeah, I agree. And determine is this a projection? Is is projection at the root of what I'm speaking to? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, without a third party having to be there to 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 slow you down emotionally and and ask that question, um, or that you have matured emotionally enough and and grown enough that you can slow yourself down and and ask that question. And is it possible to get there? Absolutely. Can you do the hundred percent of the time? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> You would not be human if you could do it 100% of the time. Right. But you can always, like you said, you work at it. You work at getting there. You work at doing your best to get to that point. Do we have time for a story? Oh, absolutely. We got uh, five minutes here. So my wife, and make sure we edit this out of the uh, the tape. (laughs) Edit this out of the show? Out of the tape, the historical (laughs) tape. Yeah. Not from this country. So, the sports, I mean, she took a liking to basketball because I played basketball and she watched me play in the leagues that I was in. Sure. While I was playing. So, she liked basketball. She can watch it. We've gone to see the Warriors when the Knicks came into town and things like that. Um, not a fan of baseball and certainly not a fan of football. But early in the marriage okay getting a little personal um because she was not had was just indifferent to american sports i mean it's just meant nothing to her right okay during the early 90s was probably my most emotionally immature time when it came to dealing with sports and losing Mm-hmm. Especially with my New York Knicks. Yeah. And they were getting close in the 90s. They too. were getting close in the <laughs> 90s, but they could not break through the Chicago Bulls and Jordan. Oh, man. Okay. Good old Allen Houston. Right? Now, this was prior to Houston, actually. Houston was in the late 90s. Oh, okay. But that 91 to 95 uh, okay, yeah. period was it was either going to happen or not going to. And they made it to the finals in the 93 94 season and lost to Houston. But. Right. The year Jordan took off. That, right. Okay. <laughs> but she would see me in the living room watching the game in a very, you know, how you would watch the 49ers oh, when yeah. they were at, at their best, right? Yes. And, and, and playing in a and playing in an a, important game, yes. a, a championship game or what have you. Edge of your seat, exactly. pacing, can't, yeah. Screaming at the it's TV bad, yeah. and all that stuff, right? And she would make comments, innocent comments, okay, that to me were just, <laughs> just uh, holy, uh, you know, just, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, against all laws just of blasphemy, uh, just bl- uh, blasphemous comments. What are you getting so upset for? What, what, what are you watching anyway? What is this? Oh, that's basketball. What are you getting so upset? Why are you so tied to 
who wins and who loses uh, and yeah. and whatnot. This is a familiar story, my friend. And of course, I would try to start talking about you know growing up in New York and being a Knicks fan and a, and a Yankee fan and, and and how you know it's like a, ingrained in your life and you know it's right. like you live and die with the team and. As you're in the middle of, you know, you're getting so energized as you're explaining it, and she's walking away. <laughs> it has yeah. absolutely no connection, no meaning, no what have you. And in the early 90s is when my girls were born. And so as they got into toddler age, I had to mature and grow out of that emotionalism. When yep. it came to sports, but boy, did she get some daggers in! Um, uh, she had no idea that those were daggers, by the way. So she's she's an innocent, sure bystander to all Completely. this. Completely, but you Niner fans, I'm sure can relate. If you're just sitting there watching the NFC Championship game, whether in your era of recent or yes. back in the '80s and even the '90s when they were going when they were at the top of their 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 helm. And uh, well, back in the eighties and nineties, I, I was just following my grandpa. Right at that age, so I fed off his emotion. Mm-hmm. But as a kid, you're not feeling it the same way. You're mm-hmm. just perceiving this is, you know, important or this is how yeah. it is. Yeah, it was more the recent stuff. And, and my wife is identical to the way you're describing your wife in terms of. Couldn't care less about sports. In fact, probably has a dislike for some of them because she follows celebrity-type news. And, of course, the athletes that make headlines are the ones that are cheating on their wives and everything. Mm. So, if anything, she leans toward the other side a Mm. little bit. But the same as your wife in could not understand for the life of her, like, why does it affect you so the way it does or so much? She's like, it, it's not, she's like, I'm starting to realize it's not even the sports necessarily that maybe I have the problem with what I don't understand or what's foreign to me are the fans and the way you like you live and die. get crazy over, she's like, you become another person when you're watching the game. Mm-hmm. She is, um, she, she was wise enough, we'll say, to have that conversation with me on an off day or while, while there wasn't an event actually happening. Um, because sure enough, she's been through a, a couple NFC championship losses and a Super Bowl loss where she, she would be out on the couch with me. And maybe I had like a friend and his wife over or whatever. And, and when the clock strikes zero, um, books flying around the house, (laughs) they knew enough. She would just be silent. She, she would wait until I said something before mm-hmm. she said something and, and would just go to silent mode because she would know. She could probably just feel, mm-hmm. you know, my, um, I've, I've crumbled to the ground, <laughs> my face you in sh- the carpet. and shut down emotionally. <laughs> that's right. So, um, but yeah, yeah, same kind of thing. Couldn't, couldn't really comprehend it. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that's, I, that's how we relate. I will tell you what is the cure for that. The cure for that type of emotional tie to the where it it has an impact on you in that way. 
So, okay, well, I'm open because I don't necessarily want a cure for the emotional tie, but I would like the cure for the impact that it has on me. There's a natural cure, but it's of your choosing. Okay, yeah. I am open to You ready? Yeah. Children. Oh, okay, I see. Okay. Because when my daughters were born and, as I said, got into toddler age, Mm -hmm. I had to change my behavior. Sure. Because you could not be yelling at the TV and sometimes saying a curse word or what, what have you. Because they re- Dropping a choice right, word or they, two. They respond to that, you know, and you're, you know which, everything. They feed off of your energy and your vibes. And so I just culled it, calmed it down, and eventually grew out of it. Yeah. Grew out of it. And then Joe, eventually me and Joe in the, in the mid to late nineties came up with a phrase, if, you know, and you know, we've been, been through some devastating losses with the Yankees, even though the Yankees won four perennial winners, right. but sure. Some devastating oh losses my, in the mix. Oh my goodness. Arizona diamond. Ah, why are you bringing it up? <laughs> Jesus Christmas. <laughs> one out of way, one out away from four straight world series. And he gives up a broken bat base hit. Oh, Mariano. Anyway, oh, um, what was I saying? So you got me. Yeah, you and Joe came up with a saying. Our, uh, oh, yeah. So we came up with a saying. It's just like, we were like, well, still got to get up still and go to work. Get, yeah. Still got to get up and go to work in the morning. That's right. So after that, it was like, all right, we just left it. Before. While still being able to enjoy the game and being oh, into yeah, the game, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Great. I think when, if you as an adult experience, and you're like a real diehard sports fan, and, 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 and you experience a devastating loss with your team, mm. right, in, 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 in Super Bowl or, or in, game in World seven Series, NBA yeah, finals right. after being up or, three games to yeah, one. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly, right. You, but once you experience that, and you think that, damn, that is the worst, then if, if your team loses again, whether they lose, you know, in, in a seventh game or they lose in the six games or whatever, you wouldn't, you'll never get back to that level of devastation. So, okay, even, well. so, so even when the Yankees in the Yankees um, were up three zero, Boston to, against Boston, they're yeah. they're hated, oh, the hated rivals, three hundred year rivals. Yeah, right. The curse, Babe Ruth, the whole nine yards. They were up three zero, and and me, you know, we're like, we're going to the show. We're going yes. to the show again, and they lose four straight. Yeah, right. It still was not as devastating as that Arizona Diamondbacks loss. Sure. No, that makes sense. Two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Oh. Yeah, three and two, one at one one pitch away from a four straight. Which, while I'm talking, I know we're going over, but I gotta say this: I keep on saying four straight, but the same guy is responsible for them not having five straight World Series. Oh yeah, they won in '96. He gave up the big home run in the ALCS to Cleveland in '97. That's right. They then came back and won three in a row. And then he gives up. Well, you know what happened in 2001. Yeah. A bloop single. They could have had five straight World Series championships. Yeah, well, could have, would have, should have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Good show today. All right. Folks, we do have, excuse me, some callers on the line that want to participate in the Recovery Sport Time segment. We see that. 
We hope you've enjoyed the show to this point and appreciate your patience. We are getting to the recovery support segment next after we take a quick music break.
Coming up next is OCG Radio's Recovery Support Time, where our hosts provide support and guidance for your recovery-related questions and issues. Recovery Support Time, where it's our time to help you. Welcome back to Roach on Recovery. I was able to get it in. Yes. We were yes. just talking about growth and maturity. <laughs> still, still playing kid games. Woo, boy, got him. Can't let the host get in the uh, the title of the segment. <clears throat> uh, I hear we've got some good ones today. Interesting ones, huh? Uh, a couple of interesting X-File questions that should um, trigger some thought uh, for our listeners. Let me see. Which one? Brian, I won't state the hometown. Um, how do you find unity in AA when you don't believe in God? And my raw answer to that is you will probably find it very difficult to find unity in AA uh, if you do not believe in God, since uh, AA and other traditional 12-step programs are rooted in God or a higher power context. So it will be difficult to find unity However, as I've advised someone in the past, the 12 steps can still be beneficial and be a a, a very good exercise for you and just remove the ones that you may consider because of your belief, if you don't believe in God or in the existence of a higher power, remove the ones that you may find offensive and use the ones that are not. Uh, 
We have another question. I'm going to have to leave the name off of this one. <clears throat> but it's a great question. Are e-cigarettes and or vapors considered addictive? So I just want to reframe the question because it's just not framed properly. Okay. And we don't normally just change the question, but I think for this one, we're going to change it. So I think it should be our e-cigarettes and or vapors are vaping addictive. Not are they considered addictive, but are they addictive? Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, I'll start out with my traditional answer. Just get that out of the way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, um, well, let's talk about e-cigarettes first. I mean, neither one of us are experts. In the well, and you don't need to know too much to know that uh, the 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 liquid or whatever the right. oil that you right. buy to replenish these has nicotine in it. Correct. And nicotine is proven to be addictive. Correct. So um, if that's the case, and you're using that that liquid then yes they're addictive yes i just i'm not sure and this is where my lack of expertise shows is do they sell these types of liquids or things that you can use your e-cigarette with or whatever without nicotine free of nicotine uh no but they use them with other things mm-hmm. okay yeah that too you know what i mean by other things well, i have my guesses okay so um <clears throat> You know, personally, I'm a proponent of e-cigarettes because, to me, it's better if you're going to – if you if for whatever reason you like nicotine, which is the driver behind people smoking cigarettes, if you remove the habitual aspect of it yeah. out, right? Um, nicotine in and of itself is not that destructive. It's all the 10,000 other things that are in the cigarette. Yeah, loaded with carcinogens. Exactly. So if someone if, – if, if to me, it, it was a – whoever came up with it, it was brilliant. But if used appropriately to get someone off of the cigarettes, mm-hmm. you know, and – but, hey, I still like – you know, I still like nicotine or I still, you know, like to have something in my hand, you know, whatever, okay? But given the choice, do you want the cigarette or do you want this, the, the e-cigarette? I say no. Take the e-cigarette because it's less damaging, right, to your body. Now the vaping. What is this vaping nonsense? I think it's similar. Uh, uh, yeah, that, I, thought, that I, I thought, don't. Well, I think it's similar though. Same thing, maybe. We have to educate ourselves. I thought the vaping was the term they used when they were smoking the marijuana in the e-cigarette type thing. No, no, okay. I, I, I've actually, so I've seen, because they have one on El Camino, like, uh, so they're like hookah lounges at play, Middle Eastern places where they they smoke hookah as a part of their culture, mm-hmm. like a vaping lounge where mm-hmm. it wasn't hookah, but this is maybe, you know, and so this is where things that fall under that category of like e-cigarettes or that mm. type of deal is being smoked. I don't think it has anything to do with um, smoking weed. And, and how come you are so knowledgeable on these things, may I ask? <laughs> well, I wish I was more knowledgeable. 
so I could give you a better answer. I think, but, our, um, I think our listeners want to know why you know so much about vaping and, <laughs> and EVIS. And, and the difference between that and this and the locations and all, where all, you can go and do it with people. And, and hookah, whatever. And <laughs> you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> I, I have I have experienced a hookah lounge or two. That okay. is the truth. Okay. The vaping thing is all new. It's a whole new thing. I don't know much about it. All right. We've got to get educated. Um, how to talk to your family about your drug past. What is the best thing to, how's the best way to go about breaking things to them? Mm. We always go with the big H, right? Just be honest. Oh, I was going to say lie. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big H indeed. Just, They're your family at the end of the day. Hey, if you can't be, if there's anyone you can be honest with in your entire life, your family's got to be the place to start. You know, they're going to, they're going to love you anyway. And and as we know about addicts, no one is going to be as hard on you as you are on yourself. That's right. And what I mean by that is not only just you being hard on yourself, but you projecting, mm-hmm. as we talked about today, what other people might be thinking, feeling about what you are telling them. That's right rather than giving them the opportunity to tell you what they think or feel about what you're telling them. See how we weave that in there? That's topic? right. That's right. All right. So you heard me with the first higher power question. I got another one. Jose from San Mateo. Listen to this one because he kind of weaves us a little bit. Is my higher power and God the same thing and then the second part of the question, does God weaken my higher power if different? I'm going to go ahead and let you field that one 100% of the way. So does our disclaimer say that we're not only doctors, <laughs> but not, not only religious are folks? We not doctors, so but... my answer to that is this. Traditionally, people use the term higher power and God interchangeably. Yeah. The term higher power came into being for people who had either other beliefs where there was an existence of a supreme being, but they did not call it G-O-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they used interchangeably. Um So I can only answer for myself that because to me they're not, you know, if people don't mean them differently. I've not, I've never encountered anyone who meant them differently. I've never seen it written anywhere where people interpreted it differently. That when you you say higher power, that it doesn't mean what you perceive to be what you would call God. Yeah, in my experience, anyone who believes in God would refer to God as God or their higher power. Right. And folks who are on the fence or maybe don't believe in God, as he's commonly referred to, would just say that they have a higher power, which could be anything. And that's kind of how I've heard people use the terms. So I don't mean to put the co-host, the producer, the engineer, call screener on the spot. Yes. But did you say he... When you were referring to God? Uh, I did. Oh, okay. Yes, indeed. All right. I'll make sure I 
clip clip that section and <laughs> well reserve notice it, reserve it for future uh, you, reference. You ought to notice that I used it in the line he as he is commonly referred to in this area where yeah, that but being our future listeners being... won't have any idea because I'm clip I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting and tasting and clipping and editing. So oh, okay. As far as they're knowing, you're just <laughs> saying God. Yeah, God of, is a he. Out of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out of context and go completely. I like that. You can do that. Sure. The power of editing. Mm-hmm. All right. One more before we hit the phones. Uh. Melissa from Monterey, do you think every person with substance abuse issues is considered to have the disease addiction, in quotations, the word disease addiction? Very interesting. You want to talk about hot debate? Go ahead. We'll get, we'll, we'll get uh, you on yeah, here that, first. Yeah, this one, this, one, this one gets debated big time. Um, but I think we've staked out our positions on this. Um, In the industry, mm-hmm. okay, we know for a fact that way back, I don't know, it could have been in the 70s, maybe early 80s, alcoholism was classified as a disease. That's correct. Okay. Officially, in the medical establishment, to my knowledge as we sit here today, that's the only one of the drugs of abuse that has so far been named as such but they are getting close they're getting closer and closer and closer to naming just addiction itself mm-hmm. as a disease pointing to the changes that occur in the brain yeah pre during and then post use and there are mental health professionals out there who if you would even hesitate as to question the disease model, would frown upon you and have you banished shunned from, and shunned from whatever room the conversation was taking place. Who are yeah, full wholeheartedly, it's a disease and this is the disease model that that okay. exists and like you said is getting okay. closer and closer to so being a thing. I'm going to play Angel's Advocate. <clears throat> oh yes. What I would ask then is if it's characterized as a disease, and again, we're not talking about alcohol, but off to the side. Mm -hmm. Are you saying then at the same time that this is a disease without a cure? Right. If the answer is yes, this is a disease without a cure, then I'll leave you be. Right. You can have your, you can have that and just, have fun with we'll it. Do have whatever fun you with like it. with there it. There you go. Right. But I would, I would say, okay, let's say I take up your position and say that it's a disease. I would ve- vehemently argue that it's a disease with a – my hands are in quotes, so no one mistakes what I say. And you, I don't want you to use your edit and clip and post either. Watch out. Disease without – I would say it's a disease with a cure. Yeah, you know, we had employed for us a long time uh, a doctor from New York. I won't state his name in case we'll say he may not want his name disclosed on our radio show. But, 
he worked for us. He was a he was a doctor, uh, PhD in psychology. He was originally from New York, like the rest of you bums who are around here running this place. Mm-hmm. And um, he informed me and one other um, colleague about this whole advancement of what addiction is going to look like in the medical industry. And he said that there was a form in which the medical industry had classified addiction as a progressive chronic terminal illness, (laughs) which uh, satisfies the same criteria as something like cancer, for example. He said, but with an asterisk Mm -hmm. that it is the only disease in its category that can be arrested one day at a time through human choice or a human, maybe through the host's choice Mm -hmm. using a medical term, Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was interesting, but kind of fits into what you say that, okay, you can say it is a disease and progressive and chronic and terminal. It it continues to get worse. It'll eventually kill you. Yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. Um, However, the individual who suffers with the disease has the ability to cure said disease by making a day-to-day decision to Mm -hmm. do so, Mm -hmm. which obviously cannot be said about the others that fall into its category. Mm -hmm. You know the doctor I refer to, obviously. I do know the doctor you refer to. (laughs) Um, But I think the debate will rage on, even if they, you know, the AMA formally, you know, says, you know, anyone who suffers from a substance use disorder, um, addiction is a is a disease and should be treated as such, like you would treat a chronic illness like diabetes and high blood pressure and things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that because actually it should get the same exact attention because it is for a lot of people chronic. Right. And I don't mean chronic from... Uh, uh, smoking the chronic. Smoking the chronic. <laughs> I mean the traditional definition of chronic. Yes. Um, but I'm sorry. It's going to cause me then to go to another question in the X file because it ties right into it. And let's see. Where is it? Da, 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 da. And I was actually uh, making fun of the gentleman in my head, because I'm saying like, what is this guy, uh, a statistical uh, psychologist or something, <laughs> asking this question? So Joe C from Castro Valley. Let's not forget the question that's on the table, right? Right. So Joe C from Castro Valley wants to know <clears throat> why is it that the statistics are so high for failure in drug treatment? Yeah. Okay. And it kind of makes me not want to try. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's put the last part of this question to the side. Not, you know, that to me, that's like cop out. Right. Well, it doesn't seem like it works. So I'm not going to even make an effort. That's a Mm -hmm. cop out. Yeah. Okay. But, um, well, I would say to that comment too. Okay. Well then what's your alternative? Exactly. If you're not happy with the way something's going, then you better damn well try to change it. And if not, well, then you must not be too unhappy and continue to live the way you were living. See how far that gets you. When someone makes, brings up the statistics question, it feeds into the chronic argument. Yeah. Because since the, you know, in big picture, the stats are poor because people do relapse. Correct. 
So your outcomes are not great, especially since the length of treatment, you know, especially residential, has been shortened. Mm-hmm. And all the studies show the longer people are in residential, the better the outcomes, right? So if you have bad stats and then in words – means you just in talk you say well you know we really should start looking at this more of a chronic disease and and giving it the same attention we give diabetes and hypertension and all these other chronic disease but in reality you don't treat it that way right the reality is you don't treat it that way because if someone does relapse and needs to get back into treatment is treatment available absolutely not but if you're a diabetic and you you know let's say you you know you've kind of fallen off the the, the regimen or fallen by the wayside with your diet and what have you. And you, and you know, you periodically, you go to your doctor for your regular checkups, maybe once a month or once a quarter, whatever they, they can see from tests and exam that, Hey, you've not been doing what you're supposed to be doing and pull you back into the, you know, Oh, sir, you've reached your checkup limit for the year. You're going <laughs> to, you're going to have to fend for yourself uh, until the next calendar year, actually. Oh goodness. That might be coming. That might be coming. Oh, boy. The debate will rage on. It will, That's indeed. all I'll say. All right. Who do we got on the phone? Let's go to Eddie from San Mateo. Welcome to the show. Hi. Uh, what is the percentage of addicts who really recover in treatment? We don't know. Whoa. The longer some, the long, we know, we don't know. We can't pull, or I'll speak for myself, I can't pull a percentage out of the air. What I can say is, what I, what, what I can stand behind is, I know when a person stays in, engaged in, the longer a person stays engaged in the treatment process, the higher the success rate. So how many people would go through recovery and not relapse. I got right. two, I got two statistics. Right, let I me got just let me just tell you. Sure. Let's let's say you got ten people, right? Yeah. Ten people go into treatment, and seven of them go through the whole treatment process. Three leave early. Which group do you think is going to have the higher chance of succeeding? The seven or the three? Seven. Right. Go ahead. Okay. So I can I can pull an actual percentage from raw data. This is now two years old, so it may have since changed, and it could have changed in either direction. And you have to bear in mind when asking a question like you asked, you should have in your own mind as the question asker a very clear definition of how you define success. Because how you define success might be different than how somebody else defines success and where this percentage came from, the definition that this research used of success might be different than the way you might determine success to be. Uh, The statistic was that 3% of people who have an addiction who attempt to arrest the addiction in substance abuse are successful in doing so. 3%. 
Uh, and then they went on further to say with the research that they had pulled that less than one and a half percent of that population did so without relapse. So meaning there was one and a half percent who, although ultimately were successful, suffered a setback at some point. Now, three percent seems dangerously low, but mind you, this is three percent of people who suffer with what they would self-report as an addiction in the entire United States. This is not singling out addicts who have the means to go to a, a program or even have the means to go to an outpatient program. This could be addicts who are on the street who've never been to a program who um, haven't ever succeeded because they don't have the help necessary. So that percentage could skyrocket if you then weed out the people who have an opportunity to go to an outpatient program. And then you weed out the people who have an opportunity to go to a residential program. Those numbers could get higher and higher and higher. This is pooling everybody together. And I would go out on a limb as to say that the vast majority of addicts probably do not have an opportunity to go to a residential program. In fact, you might be in the minority if you find yourself with the ability to get into a residential program. Then your numbers could go through the roof. But the other statistic I wanted to throw out you, throw out at you is as far as I'm concerned with what we've defined. And let me just ask you... If, if you agree with something before I proceed with this, as far as addiction is concerned or use, every time you have used drugs or any time you have suffered a relapse, was it through your own doing? Was it your choice or did somebody force you to? It's my own choice. Okay, so this would be the next percentage or number I would throw at you. 100% of people who make a sincere commitment to get clean because they genuinely want to succeed. 100% yeah. success rate with that category of people. And so if you genuinely want to change and get clean and sober, change your life, start living free from drugs and alcohol, and you put in the work necessary, I see no reason at all that you will not succeed. It's foolproof. Right. Okay. All right. All right, sir. Uh, thank thank you. you. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Let me hit up some X files, <clears throat> and thank you for your uh, statistical analysis, mathematics towards our our questioner. Um. Looks like Sandra from Santa Cruz wants to know why is alcohol withdrawal fatal? Um, I don't know the all of the medical reasons why. All I know is is that alcohol is one of the few, the only. There might be one other. Sometimes they they say meth. Um, even now, I've heard some people say heroin, but I've never, I've, I've, I've never read that, learned that. But alcohol definitely is the only drug so far that, that I'm aware of, and I could stand corrected that um, where you your detox has to be medically monitored because you said alcohol. Alcohol. I think 
heroin might fall into that. I've heard people over the years mention heroin, and for for a long time back in the day, heroin was not included in that because, you know, the heroin addict and withdrawal just suffered various physical discomforts. Right, right, okay? right, right. It was not. It was unheard of, really, for them to ha- have any. Like medically fatal, threatening yeah, conditions. Fatal uh, sure, okay. issues. Whereas with alcohol, people can have heart attacks. Of course. Oh, and, yeah. And other things that can be fatal. And so they, they, want to, they have to be medically monitored as they're detoxing. Sure. Um, so now, but, but her question, why is it the withdrawal possibly fatal? That's a medical question. I don't know why the body reacts that way. Oh, yeah. To the right. alcohol withdrawal that would cause it to possibly be fatal. Um, we would have to call on our. We may have to bring a doctor on staff of our for our radio show for these questions. So think about that as you're we're thinking in the future. Uh, let's see. Who do we got here on the X Files? Um, Roger from Fremont. What advice? or solutions you offer to those who have become programmed. That's an interesting word. To those who have become programmed or cannot lead healthy lives outside of rehab. I've never liked that word rehab, but that's what he wrote. So, Help me, Mr. Producer, if you understand the first part of the question, because he said, what advice or solutions might you offer to those who become programmed? I don't know what you could you Could you repeat that? What advice or solutions might you offer to those who have become programmed or cannot lead healthy lives outside of rehab? So the first part of the question when he's asking about those who become programmed, what is programmed in like in a negative way or a positive way or, or – I I think he may be kind of like creating a word there the way I read the question because of the second half mm-hmm. by becoming programmed, meaning like someone who is used to being in programs like, um, you know, like, like you say, people who, who become like, like a part of the system institutionalized, institutionalized, okay. Okay. I think is what okay. he means by using that word programmed. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, that's tough. It does happen to some people where they are so used to having a structure laid out for them, being told what to do, when to get up, when to go to work, when to eat, that you become dependent on someone running your life for you to where when you face the inevitability, hopefully at some point, that you will be free and have the freedom to choose the way you live your mm-hmm. life that they can't or, or struggle to do that uh, because they're not used to being responsible for themselves. Somebody always has always been responsible for them. Um, it, it's, it's funny, the question, what advice would you give to somebody like that? I don't know if it's advice so much as it is just kind of a a reality, a realistic statement that if you don't want to live in programs or institutions for the rest of your life, 
then you need to go out and handle the real world. Your business. Um, you know, as far as like logistics, I'm sure at any program you find yourself, you'll have a counselor or, or somebody who is guiding you through that process. Mm-hmm. These counselors have tools that can assist you in relapse prevention plans and in, in making making kind of faux structures that you will follow or guidelines that you can follow when you leave and things of that nature, you know, utilize your resources for sure. But at some point you're just going to have to make it happen. Yep. All right. Let's leave it at that. Let's go to, uh, Nick calling from, from that God forsaken place in <laughs> the, the, the wrong side of the George Washington bridge, uh, that yeah, decrepit yeah, yeah, yeah. airport, Newark airport, that, that <laughs> wasteland of the Meadowlands uh, that the giants finally yeah, moved yeah. out of and bridge gate. Um, what else can I think of? All of those chemical plants, New Jersey, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that's from from the Jersey Shore, by the way. But uh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> big, big difference. It's pumping difference. like yeah, a that's, champ. That's, that's up in like the arm the armpit of it, you know. But yes, anyway, yes. Um, yeah, exit sixty three. Uh, but question for you guys: um, You consider? I'm actually currently in the program as well. But you consider? Um, I just got uh, surgery on my mouth. Say, I, I got pain pills from the doctor. Do you consider that a relapse? I do. Why? I was, because I, I just did drugs in, in my mind. I had a problem with pain pills, like severe problem with pain pills. Um, and I mean, I was in pain. Did I desperately need them? No, but I feel like I like. So I haven't, I haven't really been counting days, like uh, thirty days. You know, I don't really celebrate that in, in this particular program. Uh, I feel like I'm not. I'm not having been clean. And I All right, so let, let me tell you what you did to yourself. <clears throat> in one, on one hand, you set yourself up yep. in advance. And on the other hand, you're now taking yourself out to the woodshed. Yeah. So okay. if you're saying that honestly... I just had, you know, dental work done, and I did not need the pain pills. I could have gotten by with ibuprofen or what have you, but I chose to get them, okay, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an addict, and I abuse them and what have you. Okay, then that's an, an honest assessment and admission of addic- addiction-like behavior. For sure. So, I mean, I had. I, I mean, it was. It was. It was a serious. Uh, I mean, I had a tooth sawed out of my face and, and gums and stitches and the whole nine. Um, so when leaving there, when they gave me the prescription, um, I didn't know how bad it was going to be. You know, I was swollen real good. And you know, when I when the numb well wore it off, I didn't want to not have the pills just in case. But then, knowing I did, you know, uh, I didn't even wait for the to get all the way numb. And, uh, all right, let me let me right, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. See, this is where it gets tricky, and sometimes addicts have to do something that's very hard. Okay, which is got to give yourself sometimes the benefit of the doubt. Okay, if two days from now everything is 
square, the swelling has gone down, there's no more inflammation in the gums, where no, no more pain, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And you're still trying to get pills. That's a problem. Well, then I have a problem. Okay? Um, I the never day, knew that part, but right. <laughs> the The day of, the day of, you have some significant dental work done, and there's major swelling and, you know, and pain and whatnot, whatever the case may be, and you take a pain pill. No relapse. I think you got. Excuse me. So that would you wouldn't consider that a relapse? That you you actually need it. Like. Yeah, yeah because really my the it. point the point that I'm circling around to is first I want to say that you got to give yourself a, a a break a benefit of the doubt and simultaneous to that. That's you you're going to have to learn how to be responsible with medication. Right. Well, I mean, this in this case, I am in a, uh, you know, in a program, so med call was when I could have them. Uh, if, if I if they were up to me, I would have took them all at once, you know. But uh, okay, okay but you're that, in control. I knew that going. Yeah. Right. So you're you're in a controlled environment, so it 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 helps alleviate the impulse control. So you don't have control over them. Somebody else does. Correct. And so the question that you, what you have to then try and hold yourself to. Okay, and this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. What you have to try and do is, okay, when I when I know I no longer need them, can I say no? Can I say put my hand up and say no? Yeah, I mean, I, I did that, but what do you do? I tell, tell them to throw them away for you? Like that's that's just you don't know. You don't have to worry about what <laughs> happens to them. You don't have okay. to worry about what happens to them. All you know is that you you no longer need them, and so you don't have to go to the spot to get them. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go. You don't have to go cop. Exactly. Yeah. No, I felt like I was at that point. Or like there, even actually, I I've had you know, it was staff had to over tell me, oh, well, just save them in just in case. And then I'm like, so every morning was a just in case. You know, I'm like, man, yeah, I could feel a little better. And I mean, it wasn't. Um, I don't know. I guess I could rationalize it myself and tell you, yeah, it could have been worse. Uh, you can, you can, you can certainly rationalize it in your brain for hours and hours. So you got to stop, yeah. stop doing that. Just that's what Start I meant it. by taking, taking yourself out to your, to you taking right. yourself out to your own woodshed. Stop doing that. Yeah. Would okay. you, would you personally consider that a, a real? Like, would you, would you still say, oh, I got ninety days clean? Because just knowing to yourself that you know, doesn't, like, I feel like I'm cheating myself saying that. Uh, if I, case by case, if, if if I legitimately had some a reason why I was taking a pain pill, mm. and I was responsible with the utilization of it, and then when the need was no longer there for me to use them, I stopped using them. Of course, I wouldn't consider it a relapse because that's what normal people do. Sometimes they have surgery and they have whatever, and they they take pain medication. And when when they feel better, they stop taking them. Yeah, right. yeah I guess I guess I am beating myself up, but uh, I mean, say a year from now, if something like this happens again, I I wouldn't want to have to start the year over. I guess I'm so fresh in the recovery, I just don't really yeah, care. Yeah, forget about to, see, you know. and it's not even forget about the time. It's not about the time. It has nothing to do with time. Uh. You're 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 really overworking your mind right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I guess I just when, feel like something to look forward to or build upon, and you know, it's well, you it's do. A so milestones you, are, yeah. 
when when you, when you no longer when you no longer need the medication, you no longer have to go cop it. Yep. No, it's it's gone now. I made sure that was gone. Okay. And I actually did that with it with another prescription. I had someone pick it up and throw it out, so I couldn't get it. But um. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask, let me ask <laughs> exactly. you a quick question. How much how much time do we have, Mr. Producer? You got about a minute. Okay. Let me ask you a quick question. What? So why aren't you patting yourself on the back for that? I guess I've, I've messed up so many times and tried. I don't know. I just don't. I don't that's feel the, like it was that much of an accomplishment. I mean, that's well, well, <laughs> no. Well, it's a major accomplishment because since because you've messed up so many times and you've made the wrong decision so many times, when you do something that's different, you need to give yourself some credit. Yeah. No matter how small it is. Okay. Yeah. I guess I. Yeah. All right. All right. <clears throat> I don't know, something, something I guess I'm working on, I don't know. Uh, that New Jersey part of you, you got to work it out of you. <laughs> All Never. right, sir. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Boy, addicts can beat themselves up. Sure can. Sure can. It's an old story. All right, sir, you got to wrap it up. Anything, any last dying words? Uh, what's your what's your really quick uh, pick uh, score for the game Sunday? Cowboys and Niners. Gonna at, go at Wrangler Stadium in Santa Clara. Twenty four twenty Niners. I'll take that if you give me four points. No, I'm sorry. If you give me seven points, you'll take that if I give you seven points. Yes. Uh, as in what? You that even if so, if the if the Niners win twenty four twenty and and I, I get seven points, I win the bet. Right. So you want you want Dallas plus seven plus seven. I yes. cannot give you Dallas plus seven. Not in my right mind. Well, our chum chum is always for the straight up winner. Yeah, anyway. yeah, that's true. So, but I'm guessing twenty four twenty. Throw your final out there, and then we got a jam. Okay, Dallas twenty eight, Niners seventeen. All right, we'll report back two weeks from now. Again, thank you all for your ongoing support. Anybody who called in just to listen or folks who called in to participate in the Recovery Sport Time segment, we appreciate the ongoing support, and we appreciate all every single one of you who continues to listen, continues to call in, continues to give us your undivided attention, if you will, because it's people like you who keep us going. Uh, We wish everybody a safe and productive couple of weeks and fun couple of weekends, and we will see you all two weeks from now.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let it push you down?